Welcome to this APTA podcast. This podcast is part of APTA's Fit for Practice initiative, powered by HyperIce. Weekly programming in the form of podcasts, articles, webinars, and courses help you to prioritize movement, restoration, resiliency, and practice health. Visit APTA.org and search Fit for Practice to sign up today to receive these resources delivered to your inbox. Today, I'm very lucky to be joined with the founder and CEO of FitBucks, Joe Reinke. Joe, welcome and thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I don't know how lucky you are, but thanks to, to have me on and looking forward to it. Well, I'm feeling very lucky because I feel like <laughs> you know a lot of things. You're going to share a lot of information with all of us in the rehab industry today. So let's just jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit of your backstory? What is FitBucks and why did you start it? Yeah, uh, I could tell the story for like an hour. Uh, <laughs> I'll try to trim it down to a few minutes. No, um, I mean, my background has always been in investments. Um, my mom used to make fun of me that, you know, when I was like five or six years old, I at the time I didn't realize it, but I started arbitrage, uh, like an arbitrage fund, but I did with baseball cards. Like I would look up something in this, this old magazine called a Beckett and I'd be like, oh, like this baseball card is worth five cents. And, but the store down the street selling it for a penny, like I can buy it and sell it. Um, so I was doing that. My mom used to make fun of me when I was really young. And then like my first real investments were around 12, 13 years old, um, like real estate and stuff. And I got into stocks and started in that world. And once I graduated, I actually was an athlete as well. Um, and so I went to work in professional sports first realized after about a year in professional sports that if I wasn't playing, I didn't really want to be in sports. <laughs> um, and so I went back to the financial world and I was in 2007. Um, and at that time I was going to start an investment company uh, with my buddy. He had a mortgage company. So he was like, Hey, come do mortgages with us in the morning. And then we can take all of our extra cash and put it towards investments. And well, that was the whole uh, housing crisis, the start of it. So that, that didn't really happen too much. Um, and then I ended up having surgery, an old uh, sports injury. And at that time, I was like, okay, I want to go back into finance. And so I got a job at a wealth, wealth management firm. And that was like, my first experience in the world of finance was kind of really eye opening, because I, I grew up around this stuff. So to me, it was just like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you don't have this? Or you don't know this? Or like, doesn't everybody know this stuff? And it was basically like a huge awakening that very little people know anything about money um, and really, you know, understand how it works and how to build a plan and all that type of stuff. And I started seeing all these problems in wealth management, uh, both from the consumer standpoint and in financial plan, how much it costs, how inefficient that it actually is in terms of it not actually working. <laughs> um, and then I also saw a lot of inefficiencies on the business side. And at the time, I really didn't know how to solve that issue. And I started putting together business plans and combining different things, but nothing was really like, wow, this is different. Um, and at the same time, I, I didn't really want to be in wealth management. I wanted to go more towards like investments because that was my background. And so I ended up getting what's called the CFA charter, which is basically like a post doctorate in finance. Um, and at that time I was like, okay, I'm leaving wealth management and I'm going into like valuation investment banking and all that type of stuff. And when I was there, I realized like 
when we value a business about 10 to 20% of the jobs I was working on, we had to value what's called intangible assets. So things like technology, copyrights, all that type of stuff. Like you go to look at Facebook or a company like that. They don't have assets, like hard assets, like materials. They have technology. So that's basically an intangible asset. And I started thinking to myself, you know, one of the old sayings that I heard when I was like 13 was think of yourself like a business. And I'm like, that's the missing component. That's why wealth management, they can't customize these things to people's because they don't look at you, the individual. They're not looking at your future income. They're not looking at that risk. They're not saying, and that risk to your income, it dictates everything. Like it dictates, you know, what you do with your student loans. It dictates the insurance you need. Should you buy a house or not? How much insurance you need? It dictates everything. And without it, a financial plan is basically worthless. And especially for younger people, because we don't have assets. We have a lot of debt, uh, probably. And our biggest asset is what we call human capital. And so I started messing around with a bunch of formulas and algorithms to incorporate that into wealth management. Um, and there were some holes in it. Like I was like, how do I make this easy for consumers? So I started developing at that time and called it a, a financial fitness score. And I started developing that out. And I had it all. I was ready to go. Um, and naturally, I did nothing with it. <laughs> um, primarily because it's like, you know, you're making over six figures. My wife is making over six figures. It's like, you know, do I really want to go and do this? Yeah, it's like, well, why? You know, and over time, what ended up happening is, you know, when you're in the investment world, it, it actually sucks. Um, you know, you're sitting there doing valuations and investment stuff and investment recommendations for you know, people that are making, you know, millions of dollars and you're valuing companies that are billions of dollars. It's like, great. Like, like it doesn't actually help anybody. Like, you know, all this doing is helping somebody make other money. And, and the thing that really ate at me was I'm an investor at heart. And a lot of the companies I want to invest in, I couldn't because our company was working on them. And it's like, there was one company that I had researched, I had invested in prior to even joining that firm. But one of our analysts in Chicago was working on that company. So just because our company was working on it, I couldn't invest in it anymore. And it was like, I can't do anything. I'm not helping anybody. Like basically I'm making a bunch of money for other people and I can't even use what I know. Like this is, this is ridiculous. And then um, I brought up my surgery on my shoulder. I ended up getting married to my, my PT, which is obviously not my wife. <laughs> um, don't worry. She always, when I tell that story, she's always like, make sure you tell everybody it was HIPAA compliant. Like we didn't start dating till after I discharged you. And it's like, okay, great. So well done. You did it the right <laughs> way. <laughs> um, but she, I had, so I had this entire business plan. I had all these technologies ready to go. I had these things connected and she was actually like, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? And I was kind of just like, well, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, maybe I'll do it. And then we went to a retirement party. Um, so she got her fellowship through um, Kaiser NorCal. Some of you guys that are listening to this may actually um, know uh, Carol Joe, but we went to Carol Joe's retirement party. And it was, it was exciting because you see, you know, these two, 300 people that, you know, that she has basically been the director of this program that all come there for her party. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it's like, okay, not only did she touch these 300 PTs, but indirectly she has touched every single one of their patients 
because she puts together this program that helps all these other people. And it's like, you know, that's something that I want to do is I want to be able to help thousands and millions of people. And I'm not in healthcare, so I, I can't do it as a doctor. I'm not like an engineer. So it's not like I'm going to create some new product. Like, you know, I'm not going to create Tesla. Like I'm not going to create SpaceX. Like I'm not an engineer, but it's like, okay, well, what if I could create a technology that reduces the amount of time you need to think about money? Because to me, money is a big waste of time. Like people stress about it. People think about it way too much and it takes up way too much of their time. And so I put together all the, the formulas and all the algorithms I'd put together. And I started going to some people that I know, like my cousins and friends, and I started using it on them. And at that time, uh, we laugh now because the original formula was like 240 tabs in Excel. <laughs> um, and I started having my, my relatives use it and friends use it. And they're like, this is phenomenal. Like, you know, are you going to launch this? And I was like, you know, that was the deciding factor. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Like, let, let's go. Like, you know, I'm burnt out, just not doing anything, helping, not helping anybody. Like I got, I'm sitting on this technology. Like this is my opportunity to actually be able to help a lot of people in a meaningful way. And, and at the end of the day, that's what Bitbucks is, is ultimately, you know, if people are spending 90% of their time stressing about money and anxiety and financial security, that we can reduce that to like 10% of the time. So that way they can go out and do what they want to do, let it be their career, let it be with their family, whatever it is. That's, that's our goals. Reduce the amount of time you need to stress about money. Wow. I love it. I'm, I... So I condensed an hour into about five minutes, I hope. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was perfect. It was perfect. Um, so then let's go into, um, did I mention that we're in the middle of a pandemic? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still, it's still happening. Um, from a financial point of view, um, with your background, how do you see how the pandemic has affected clinicians, PTs, PTAs? Um, multiple ways. Um, and I look at it in different time frames because you look at it of when it first happened, you look at it right after it happened. And then I look at some of the newer grads that are coming out and how it affects them also. And it, is, it actually explains this whole cycle of money very <laughs> elegantly. And it's in a very short time period. Like, so when COVID first hit, it was like a lot of PTs were getting furloughed. And it was just like, oh no, what do we do? Um, and that to me... It, it's an awakening, but it's, it's actually a positive thing because it allowed them to realize like when we do workshops at universities and webinars online and stuff, we emphasize, hey, make sure you have your emergency fund. And for PTs, we recommend them of, of three months. But whenever we recommend something, it's like, that's just what it is as a recommendation. You need to say, is that, I understand why they're saying that, but what do I feel more comfortable doing? And I highlight that with the emergency fund because we, we hear it all the time. There's other people in finances that are like, you know, you should only have one month of emergency fund or a thousand dollars or whatever it is. Then all of a sudden COVID hits and it's like, oh crap, I don't have a job. Right. And I, I actually need this emergency fund now. Yeah, exactly. Like, and all mm -hmm. of a sudden it's like, you know, we got people all the time that would come to us right at the beginning of COVID like, and say, you know, I just watched the course or I was in your workshop. And, you know, I loved what you said about feeling comfortable. So 
I decided to have a nine month emergency fund instead of like a three month. And I'm so glad that I did that. Like, I don't know, all my friends are stressing and, and I don't have to stress about it, but it helped highlight the importance of the emergency fund or like when a new grad comes out and we see new grads all the time, just start chucking money at their loans. It's like, you know, slow down, get that emergency fund first and then um, start throwing money at the loans. Cause once you put the money at the loans, you can't get the money back. Yeah. So get that base first. And, and another thing, like I talked about the base is like with investments, everybody's always like invest early. And it's like, yeah, that's good advice, but how do you invest? A lot of people like in their 401ks, it will default to one of the most risky investments you can possibly be in. And it's like, okay, well, let's just say you have your emergency fund. Let's just say it's five grand and you have five grand in your 401k, but it's really aggressive and COVID hit that five grand just went down to $2,500. So let me ask you a question. Would an extra one year of gains make a benefit to you 30 years from now? Or if you just got furloughed or fired with that extra $2,500 you just lost, would that be more beneficial to you right now? And it's like, so when I go out there and I say oftentimes, like get your emergency fund. And then when you start investing with like a 401k or a Roth, like to make it a little bit more conservative for the first six to 12 months while you get that base. And then after like a year, then start changing the allocations in it. That's why I mean that stuff. So when the COVID like first hit, it was like a, a huge awakening to people because it was like, oh crap, I need to think about this stuff more seriously. And this is why we say this. Um, and for those listening to this podcast, one of the sayings I emphasize is the, the big, like one of the biggest nuggets I have ever heard. And I use this for investing when I was younger, but now I use it for all financial planning is manage your risk and your return will be there. Okay. Everybody focuses on why well, I might get miss out on one year of 8% returns. It's like, okay, 8% of $5,000 is really not that much. Like you're not missing out on that much, okay? Manage your risk is like, okay, well, how do I have these allocations just to start with? Emergency fund is, is managing my risk. How are my student loans set up? That can help you manage your risk and your financial and your budgeting and all that type of stuff. And so that's what COVID, the beginning of it really hit was people are like, okay, everything was going great. And poof, you know, how do I manage my risk better? And if I manage my risk, then I don't have to panic and I can make the right choices. And then my finances will grow from there because I'm making the right choices. So that was the beginning of COVID. And then towards the middle of COVID, um, I started seeing this effect of a statistic that I know, but a lot of people don't think about this. Um, and that is that the S&P 500, I, th I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's something like 67% of the companies on the S&P 500, which if you don't know what that is, that's the, the largest 500 companies in the United States. So about 67% or something of that were started in recessions. Okay. And the primary reason is because people were comfortable. They had their jobs. A recession hit. They lost their jobs and said, I got to go and make money. So they went out and started their own businesses and then they blossom and they grow. Um, one of the best times, like I grew up in Silicon Valley and it's like one of the best times to invest is in recessions because that's when all these ideas come to the forefront. Um, and so I saw the same thing happening with PTs is they're like, I got furloughed. I need income. What can I start doing to create my own income? And I've seen a lot of PTs starting their own businesses, doing their own side hustles, 
um, from mobile clinics to helping other companies do marketing stuff on the internet. Like I, I've seen it all, okay, with PTs. And so that's inspiring because I, I would love, I, I get not everybody, you know, is in the mindset of being a business owner, but I, I love seeing it because like I grew up around business owners. So it's like, great, like go make your own money. Fantastic. So that was like the second phase. And then the third phase is kind of like those PTs that are just graduating <laughs> that they didn't experience the whole furlough piece. So it's just like, hey, everything's great again. And you know, okay, this emergency fund, fantastic. I just want to talk about student loans because that's my number one problem. And it's like, okay, we'll go talk about student loans, but these other things are important. So you've seen this entire cycle already within the last like 20 months of, oh shit, I want to create my own business back to, okay, well, I I'm comfortable and I just need to know about this, this piece right here for my finances. So it's kind of like this cycle that we always go through in the world of finance. Um, but that's been the big effect that we've seen um, is primarily on the people that have been out of school, really that were affected by it saying, what can I do not to put myself in this situation again? Well, I love that concept of innovation coming from the hard, the hardest times. Mm -hmm. And I also wonder what the effect of the pandemic will have on, you know, I'm going to say an entire generation of PTs, you yep. know, because you're never going to forget that you were furloughed. And yeah. you at some point had far less job stability than you had ever projected in your life. You know? Yeah. There was an old saying that, that I heard, I don't know who told me this, but they're like, you know, when you have a job, you're basically on a mountain and, and, you know, it's kind of like you're at the middle of the mountain, maybe the top portion of the mountain. I mean, for PTs, let's just look at income, right? As a PT, I mean, we all complain about the income. My, my wife complains about it, all that type of stuff. But as, in reality is when you look at the average American, you're making far more than the average person. So you're, you're basically towards the top of the mountain in terms of income, okay? Um, when you're at the top of the mountain, there's not that much place to go. But when you get knocked down to the bottom, there's really nowhere to go but up. So like if you're furloughed and, and you're sitting there and you have zero, you have nothing to lose. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, let's go create something and start climbing this mountain again. Um, and you can accelerate a lot faster than if you're already, quote unquote, on that mountain. So that's what uh, one of my investment professors told me, actually. He's like, let's go take some risk. I'm like, no, like, you got to manage that stuff. <laughs> so. um, you mentioned student loans. I know that for me, this applies to me as well. Student loans are about to go right back into our cycle again. Can we touch on that? Do you have a vision or an expectation of what you think this is gonna look like? Yeah, absolutely. It's gonna be <laughs> ugly. It's the loan servicers, I don't think are gonna be prepared for the phone calls. So it's gonna be really hard to get into your lenders and ask them questions. I can guarantee you that they're not staffed appropriately. Um, so start preparing now. And in fact, um, the APTA, we, we just partnered with the APTA. Um, they just now announced it a few weeks ago. Our first thing, we have a number of things that were got lined up, but our first thing is to try to get as many PTs that have graduated in the last like zero to three years onto webinars and schedule calls with us and everything. Um, so that way they can put together the plan without necessarily having to go to their loan servicers. Cause I, I already know they're not going to have any shot of calling in and getting the answers. It's just, unless you plan on staying on hold for 10 hours, um, which I don't think many of us can do, um, but that is coming down the pike uh, soon. And with our technology, 
like, you know, we were looking forward to it because our first technology that we rolled out, instead of like the whole financial planning technology first, we focused it on student loans. So like we've helped, I think it's over 10,000 PTs manage something like $1.6 billion in student loans through our technologies. Um, and so it's like, finally, we get to use it again. Like it's been sitting there for, <laughs> for 20 months Almost waiting. Almost two years, right? Yeah, it's like, holy cow. But now in addition to that, we have our full-on financial planning technology that we've rolled out. So it's like, great. Now we got a lot more we can do. Fantastic. Um, but I think it's going to be an impact. Um, a lot of the PTs that I talk to, I, I don't know if it's going to impact them very adversely, meaning a lot of them have already been pretending like they're making the payments and they're just saving it and mm -hmm. saying, what do I need to do? Um, you know, of course there are people that, you know, it's like, well, I'll worry about it when it, when it happens. And it's like, okay, well it's happening. And those people, you know, between like December and, and February of next year, we're start jumping on like our webinars and stuff to figure out what to do. And they might be in a bit of a little bit of a shock because it's like, oh man, I, I haven't even thought about this payment. And now all of a sudden, like, I got to cut this, I got to cut that. Like, what am I supposed to do? And a little bit of a panic. We'll calm you guys down. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> And then there'll be the individuals that they won't even think about it till they actually have to make the first payment. And then it's like, oh shit, I gotta make this payment. What am I supposed to do? Um, and so you'll see a little bit of an effect. Mostly I see maybe some people having to drop things like, um, you know, maybe some contributions to retirement accounts because they gotta be able to pay their loans. Um, we see other type of effects, like people are like, that maybe sh should have been paying off their loans and then they realize that they can't do it now because during this time they might've went out and overspent on a vehicle or something like that. And it's like, now they're forced to go into an income journey repayment plan and go for forgiveness because they, they didn't plan for that. Um, but there's always a way, you know, figure it out, say, okay, do this or do that. What's the smartest way to do it. Um, but it's kind of just that, that, Oh, no moment that comes and that panic. And, you know, that's my one message is, is a, don't panic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I said, we've helped 10,000 PTs. And I say this in my workshops at the different universities that we go to. Never have I gotten on the phone like prior to a phone call with somebody and looked at their profile and been like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to tell this person. Like they're screwed. Like I've never had that happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had people get on the phone calls and I mean, they're literally crying when we get on the phone call and it's like, you know, calm down. Like you're going to be okay. Um, and we figure out a way with every single person of like, this is the plan. And as long as you stick to it, you're going to be fine. Okay. So the plan is don't panic, reach out. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. <laughs> and I like the concept of maybe reaching out to people now mm -hmm. versus when the loan, you know, the first due date comes up. Can you anticipate at all questions people might have? I'm, I'm only thinking like what, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we break it down because there's so many nuances that if you start going through like studentaid.gov and stuff, you can get lost very easily. If you start reading a bunch of blogs, you can get very confused. A lot of videos, a lot of podcasts get using really fast. At the end of the day, you need to understand a handful of things and then say, how does this apply to me? And that's how you make your decision. So like one of the number one things that we talk in like our webinars and whatnot is understanding the difference between payoff strategies and loan forgiveness strategies. Okay. And by loan forgiveness, those are like income during repayment plans, public service loan forgiveness, PAYE, the government calls those all student loan forgiveness plans. 
So from a high level, it's like, what are those differences? And the first thing that I need to understand or do is, do I understand the two? Because it's like, if I understand a payoff strategy, but I don't understand loan forgiveness, you probably don't want to go loan forgiveness. You, you probably want to go, you want to go with what you understand. Okay. Now, if you understand both of them, from there, it's a matter of saying, okay, what are my career goals and what are my personal goals? And then saying, okay, well, if I take these student loan plans and I put them into an overall financial plan, which one allows me to actually do those goals that I'm trying to do? Let it be trying to do a residency. Let it be starting your own business. Maybe your number one goal is buying a house instead of paying off your debt. Like which plans are going to allow me to do that and not come back and bite me in the butt 15 years from now? And so that's why we're actually excited. Um, I, I mentioned the technology we just rolled out. Before it was just student loans. We now have a technology where we can actually put all these different life events, like getting married and buying houses and kids and cars and all these different things. And we can put in the, the student loan plans in there. You can actually run projections and say, how does this affect me both in the long term and in the short term? And actually view it to say, okay, I see how this affects me. This is a decision I need to make. And then you can actually go and implement it and say, okay, that's how I'm supposed to implement this. Um, and that's part of the technology is where you can actually track the financial plan, um, tell you if you're doing it right or not. <laughs> so if you're tracking it, you might get some nasty emails from me. <laughs> All right. And since we're on an APTA uh, podcast, I might as well mention it. Um, part of our partnership with the APTA, the only part that we charge for all that is the actual implementation component of saying, okay, I'm linking my account and I'm tracking it. And with APTA members, you get a discount. So it's like um, something like 57% or 60% or something like that discount off the normal price on the tracking piece. But before that, to build your profile, schedule a call, and like set it up, it's all, it's all free. And so that, but that's the big piece though, going back to your question of what do I need to start thinking about? What, where do I start? It's like payoff strategy, loan forgiveness strategy, understanding them and then saying, how do these affect my plans? And it goes back to the saying, you know, you got to have your, your student loans and your finances complement your life, not dictate it. Okay. Mm, and that's the way you do that with student loans. You got to figure out that. Now, the other question that then comes to us is like, should I refinance my student loans? You, you can't answer that question until you know if you're paying off your loans or if you're going on loan forgiveness. Because if you're going loan forgiveness, you don't want to refinance. If you're going payoff, well, then that's when you want to look into refinancing. You're not necessarily going to do it, but that's when you want to look into it. Okay. And there's a number, that's like a whole other podcast to go through like calculations <laughs> on that stuff. Again, you guys don't even have to worry about that. We have a free, part of that free service is a free student loan refinance service. So like if there's questions on that, we can help you guys with that too. But that's like the next phase. And I see PTs make that mistake all the time. They want to go loan forgiveness. They see all these advertisements for refinancing. So then they go and refinance. And now they can't go for loan forgiveness and they're stuck. And it's like, oh shit, like, what did I do? And it's like, you shouldn't have refinanced. But now that you're in that, what can you do? Let's go and move on from there. So that's how the pecking order works. Is it's like, okay, pay off or loan forgiveness. If I'm paying off, look into refinancing and figure out how can I manipulate the monthly payments to best suit me? And then if you're going loan forgiveness, then it's like, for those of you that don't know, there's a tax at the end of loan forgiveness. So it's like, how do I minimize how much I pay so that way I can save as much as I can and save for the tax, but also save for my other goals, like buying a house or whatever it may be. And then that's, that's how you go through the pecking order. Well, that's great. 
Okay, now I'm going to pivot away from student loans. Okay. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a, uh, probably a terrible question. Um, I'm going for it. What would you say, this is going to be hard, the number one contributor to being financially successful? If I were to pose that question to, to you, what's um, your first reaction there? Keep it simple and focused. So that's two things, but they're massive. Um, complexity to anything makes it a lot harder to accomplish. So when you keep it simple, um, I, it's really not that confusing if you're like, okay, well, this is all I have to do and you'll be fine. And so like I've narrowed it down in our workshops, we talk about two formulas, right? The first one is income minus expenses. And the second one is assets minus debt. And when you start understanding the, those formulas and you, you start looking at all these decisions and you realize I just have to plug the numbers into those formulas and I can start coming to see what would happen and shift if I can afford things or what I can't afford. And so that makes life a lot easier when you're, when you're looking at understanding something and finance and planning and then focusing. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems that we see people make is they graduate and they're, they, they're ready to take on the world, right? They're like, I'm making 78 grand a year and I'm rich. And yeah, they, they, they dance, they have fun. They're like, woohoo. And then they realize there's taxes. <laughs> oh man, that was such a shock. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what ends up happening is they're like, well, I, I want to pay off my student loans. I want to save for a house. I need to buy a car. I'm getting married. I want to start my retirement. Like I, it's like, holy shit. Like you're not going to do any of those things because in the world of finance, it takes time to save. It takes time to do these things. So if you're following your goals and you're not seeing results for two years, probability says you're going to stop doing it. And that's what happens to most people. They do something, they set up a budget, they start doing something. They don't even know why they're doing it, but they do it for two or three months and then they stop. And it's like, it's because they're not seeing those improvements and they're not setting the goals realistically and they're not focusing. They're too spread thin. So it's making the goal achievements push farther and farther out. And I give the example all the time. It's like, if you're a PT and you have two patients, you got patient A and patient B, and you give them both a home exercise plan, okay? Patient A, let's just say they see results in the first few days, they're coming back for their second visit, okay? If patient B doesn't see results for a month, they're gonna go see a chiropractor, okay? Like they're, they're gone. They're not coming back to you. You're right. <laughs> so it's the, same, it's the same thing with money. It's like the faster you achieve your goals, the more likely you are to have success and keep going. Okay. And so when it comes to, to money and, and goals, it's like focus, focus on one thing or two. I always tell people the most you can do is three until you're mm -hmm. just too spread thin. Mm -hmm. So most new grads, it's going to be like, okay, save for retirement, pay off my student loans. Those are my two things. Or it might be like, look, my number one goal is actually a house. So it might be like, save for retirement, save for a down payment on a house. On my student loans, I'm going for loan forgiveness. Like, and you don't have to think about that anymore. You just, it's gone and you're doing your other things. And so focus, focus, focus. And again, you know, keeping it simple, you know, I give the story about like my uncle who's a barber and he's worth like, he's been a barber since he's been 18 and, um, and he's now like 70 and he's worth like $2.5 million. And it's like, what did he do? He put money in the bank and when he earned interest and when he had enough, he went out and bought property. You know, my dad did the same type of thing as this put money in the bank, buy property, rent it, pay off the mortgages, do it again. Like that's all they did. It was simple. My, like my dad hates the stock market. Like I'm like the opposite. I love the stock market, but like he hates it. He never invests in the stock market because he doesn't understand it. 
And so it's like, you don't need to be, you know, an expert. And then what I've, I've seen is once you keep it simple, one of two things will happen. Either A, that's going to be enough for you. You don't need to do anything else. You can go on and move on with the rest of your life. Or you start realizing, okay, I understand this. Now I want to look into this other piece of finance and I want to do look into this or this and this or this. And you start gaining that knowledge as you're going. Um, that's why people now, PTs I talked to like three years ago, they're now calling me asking about trading options. I'm like, okay, guys, slow down. Um, but that's the reality of it. And focus, again, I, I was taught that at a young age, all through college with like sports psychology. And I continue to hear that. And it's like, so I've lived that way my whole entire life. So when I say focus, like I'm, I'm a result of that. Like, it's, it's great. Like people always ask us, how did you get Fitbucks to grow so fast with such limited resources and all that type of stuff? It's like, because I focused, it's like, I don't do any of my own investments anymore. Like I can't actually, because our board won't let me, but because they know me, they, if I could still do my own investments, like I wouldn't be focused. <laughs> um, so it's literally just working on Fitbucks and playing with my daughter. Like, that's it. Like, I don't, do anything else. I don't want to do anything else, but it's focused. So those are the two main things is keeping it simple at first and focusing and not widening your horizon of, of too much of what you're trying to accomplish, but narrow it down and say, these are the things that I'm trying to accomplish. And that's it. You mentioned that COVID-19 has really helped to tap into our creative and innovative sides. Can you give us any more insight into PTs thinking outside the box? Yeah. So, you know, like when they're starting their jobs um, and I get this question a lot, uh, especially from like relatives and family members and all that stuff, because I actually have a notebook that like sits next to me on my on my desk. And there's about 250 business plans in it of different ideas. And a lot of people are like, where do you where do you come up with these ideas? How do you come up with these ideas? And it's like, I can never explain it. Um, and then I forgot who what podcast I was listening to. And they were talking about context and the importance of context and how a lot of us are losing it. And I started thinking back to an interview. There was a series of interviews of people that were close to Warren Buffett. And they were asking why Warren Buffett was so successful. And if you don't know who Warren Buffett is, he's basically the, the wealthiest investor in the history of the world. Okay. And the number one characteristic that all these people said that, that made him different was that he used to read. He didn't care what it was. He, he just read. It could be a 10K. It could be a, a you know, fairy tale book. It doesn't matter. He was always reading. And when I was listening to this podcast, it kind of triggered on me because it's like I, I read all the time. It's like I don't even own a TV anymore. Like I just read. And what happens is when you read the, the, uh, this psychologist that was on this podcast was talking about when you read, you have to have build context. So like if there's something in chapter 10, you have to read the first nine chapters in order to understand what's going on in chapter 10. And so you start to being able to develop the, the, the way to process the information appropriately. So when you get to that chapter, you have the context and you can understand what the author's talking about. We've lost that as a society. I'll pick on Google because whenever I want to know something, I type it in Google and it spits me out a one or two sentence answer with no context whatsoever. I, I, I don't know. And, and we, we replace that with knowledge. Like, oh, I'm smart because I looked this up on Google and here's the answer. And most of the time it's, it's horrible. And so what's that happened in terms of entrepreneurship and ideas is that people 
they don't see business ideas. They just go through life and they're like, I need to go get shampoo. So they go to Target and they get shampoo and they walk out. They don't understand like, okay, is this laid out correctly? Like, like Whole Foods. I used to, in high school, or actually my freshman year in college, I worked at Whole Foods. And it was a fantastic experience. I see this all the time. They talk about how do they lay out a store appropriately? So that way it's like, you know, the seasoning is next to the meat, like all this type of stuff. Like, you know, this is a bit like the founders of Whole Foods, they came up with that marketing strategy because they understood the context of the borrower walking or the, the consumer walking through it. And they understood, hey, if we move this here, do this here, do this here. And they came up with a business plan around that. Okay. Same type of thing. Again, it, it's all context. And so it's like, just how do I, how do I process information? And when you understand that and you start building that skill of looking at context, you'll be able to see flaws in businesses all over the place. And then you can say, okay, well, if I fix that flaw, is that a really big business or not? Is it enough for me to quit and actually do this or not? Is it a side hustle type of thing where it's like, if I fix this and I, and I go on and I do this, is it enough? Am I going to get paid enough for my time on the side for it to be worth it? Yes or no. And that's exactly kind of what I did with Fitbooks was I started plugging in all these pieces like, hey, this is what's problem here, problem here, problem here, problem here. Um, I brought up the, the point earlier about, you know, we take all this data. How do I make this easy for consumers, right? Like I didn't say how we actually do it. But the way we do it is all this information. If I try to show you like your income, your expenses, your assets, your debt, your human capital, your insurances, your head would explode, right? And that was one of the problems I saw trying to communicate to consumers. And so I turned around and said, okay, as part of our algorithms, we're going to come behind all that into one data point, one score. So I could very easily say, if you do this, your score goes here. If you do this, your score goes here. And it's like, oh, like, and you can see how everything moves together. That was context. I understood you know, looking at the big picture, what the problem was, whereas like everybody else in the finance industry, they're like, well, we just have a lack of education. It's like, okay, that's it. You guys have been saying that for 50 years and no one saw that problem yet, right? Nobody understood the context. So to answer your question again, just in summary, you know, my big thing is, is reading and, and trying to develop that contextual feel so you can start understanding things. And like I said, you will literally start walking down places and in shopping malls or wherever you're at and being like, that's a flaw. And if somebody fixed that, that's, that's a business like that right there. And it's like, I tell my wife all the time, that's the hardest part for me is because I see these things. I'm like, and now that I know how to build a website, it's like, I, I could go and build this website. Like I could do this, this, and this. And she's like, calm down. Like, you know, do, do it afterwards. Like, <laughs> you know, so, okay. um, but yeah, <laughs> context, 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 try to read as much as you can. And like I said, it's, that, that's my advice. You know, other people might have other advice on how to find businesses, but that's what I've found, you know, for side hustles, businesses, you know, building, it's more building that skill and then it will start coming to you with those ideas. Okay. My next question for you is how much can we be spending on the fun stuff? <laughs> A lot. Um, <laughs> So I'm like, I'm not your typical finance person. I'm not the one that's like, you know, don't spend anything on fun. Like, like, you know, starve yourself and eat top ramen until, you know, you're a millionaire. It's like, well, what's the fun of that? Um, so there's a couple of things. So I brought up those formulas, income minus expenses equals remaining cash, assets minus debt equals net wealth. And then you have insurance on there also. It's called risk management. Okay. So I'll frame this because the best way I can explain this because I see our technology every day is in 
is just using that framework. So in our plan building stuff, we actually have those formulas right in there where you build out the information in that formula. And then on the bottom of it, we have what we call vacation fund money. Okay, so like you put in your day-to-day expenses, you put in your income, you put in your goals, you put in all this stuff and it says vacation fund money. Now, some people will get to that end where they put all their stuff in and they might have like $600 a month left over. Okay. And first off, sometimes they're like, wow, I didn't realize I had that much money. Like, where does it all go? Like, I'm wasting it. (laughs) And some people, what they'll do is they'll say $600. Okay, that's good. Should I do more? And my response is no. Like, if if you're following your financial plan and you're saying, look, here's my rent, here's my food, here's my expenses, this is what I need to pay for insurance. I'm going to put X percent of my income going towards my retirement. I'm going to put X percent towards my student loan debt. And you still have $600 left over. And those projections of those things put you in a good situation in the long run. Like you're going to have enough in retirement. You're going to pay off your loans, let's just say in 10 years or less. And you got $600 left over still? Go enjoy it. And, and over time, as long as you're following your plan, how much you said you're going to put in retirement, how much you're going to put into debt, as long as you're doing that, go spend on whatever you want. Like splurge. It doesn't matter. You're following your financial plan. Don't stress about it. I said at the very beginning, right? Like try to, to reduce how much you are stressing about money. Don't worry about it at that point. Now, some people will turn around and be like, well, I just had this really good goal. I got $600 left over. So they're going to turn around and be like, I'm going to put that towards my loans. And that's part of my plan. And they're going to eat top ramen and do all that. That's fine. If that's your personality and that's what you want to do and you, that's what your focus is, fantastic. Like, you know, I remember uh, our first podcast that we did for Fitbooks. Uh, I was interviewing Ashley. Ashley was one of the first people that I'd ever worked with. And she had $220,000 of student loan debt when she graduated. And she was like, I'm paying this off. And I'm like, and, and it's like, okay, let's put together a plan. I'm like, how long do you want to pay it off? And she's like, less than five years. And I'm like, slow down. <laughs> like, you're not going to be able to do this. Like, and she's like, oh, no, I, I think I can. I'm like, she's like, what would you recommend doing? I'm like, if you're going to do it, I'll show you how to do it. But you're going to have to focus. And it's going to be extremely hard because it's going to take you four or five years. And most people are going to burn out in 18 months. And she's like, well, I'm going to do it. But long story short, she shut it up my, <laughs> um, and she did it in three years. <laughs> um, well done, Ashley. Yeah, wow. but she was just, you know, extreme focus on it. Extreme, extreme, extreme. And so that, that's where you have to say and look at it and say, do I have these goals? And now she's in a great spot, right? Because she's like, I have all this money every month. What, what the hell am I supposed to do with it? It's like, fantastic. Like, go invest, right? But you have to look at it and say, you know, that fund money, is that important to me? Like, do I want to use it to do what I want to do? Or do I have a goal that I want to focus on so bad that I'm willing to make sacrifices in every other place of my life so that way I can get this goal done because I know it's going to put me in a better position in a few years. And everybody's different. And that's part of the reason why, you know, I don't like going on the social media a lot is because it's like somebody will ask a question. They're like, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And then people just start like, you know, on social media blasting them. I'm like, that's stupid and blah, blah. It's like, no, it's not stupid. Like, that's what they want to do. And that's what they're comfortable doing. And that's what they understand. What's wrong with it? You know, like, you know, I, I go, I'm more of the first type um, where it's like, look, as long as I, I'm following my investment plan and paying off the debt, like I'm going to go eat at restaurants every night. Like I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Like, of course, that's all I spend money on is like restaurants, but <laughs> it's like, I just don't buy anything else. Um, but you know, that's the big thing there. Now, what, on that point where I said, like, I don't buy anything else, I will bring up one other way that helps build discipline. This is something that I did 
is like when you're first starting out trying to do all this stuff is I would literally just pick one thing, whatever it was. And I'm like, I'm not doing this for 40 days, like period. So it could be drinking caffeine. It could be, you know, spending money on, you know, lunch. I'm going to make lunch for the next 40 days. And you start realizing a lot of stuff when you do that. You're like, yeah, I don't really need this. Like caffeine. I haven't drank caffeine in two and a half years. Before that, I was drinking between rock stars and, and cat and coffee. I was drinking like at least six a day. Like, and I just, like, I'm not going to do this for 40 days. And I haven't done it since. And guess what? I'm saving probably about $20 a day. <laughs> yeah. And so that's just one little bit of advice. If you're like, look, how do I try to build discipline on the stuff? It's like, just pick one thing. Again, focus. Don't try to do everything. Like, don't try to cut every spending thing out of your life. Say like, hey, here's one thing that I think I, I overspend on. I'm just going to cut this one thing for 40 days. And you're good. I like that. So you experiment with it. See, and it'll really show, do you need it or not? Your yep. true necessity comes out. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Um, you mentioned burnout. Let's touch on that. Can we talk about how Fitbox is addressing burnout in the PT industry? Yeah, absolutely. So we did a, a survey. Um, I forgot what we did. It was like three years ago. Um, somebody asked me to do a survey just because of our, our reach in the PT industry. And it was, what's the number one factor of, of burnout? And actually finances were number one on that survey. Now, was it biased because our audience came to us for, for money issues, right? So is it biased? Maybe, but it wasn't even close, like the results. And so I started looking at it and it's like, you know, a couple of things on that. One, it goes back to what I, I very first said about why I wanted the Starfit Bucks was to help people. It's like, they're burnt out because one, they don't have answers. They don't understand what to do. And there's not really any place for them to go and, and figure out those answers, right? There's all these different apps that you can use, but you're still left to yourself to put it together. So that's why I'm so happy about like what we're just launched with Fitbox is finally, it's like, that's the technology that I'm trying to build it to make that easy. Okay. To understand. Um, but because they don't understand it, they don't know if they're following their plan correctly or not. And it gives them anxiety. And then they just see, especially with student loans, they just see this huge, massive number and they don't have any idea how to get rid of it. And so to answer your question, like how we're addressing it, it's with the technology and our, and our service. That's how we're trying to address that. Now, what are other things you can do to address it? But what also do I see happening is like the other day, I just talked to someone and she's like, I'm burned out of the PT industry. I'm leaving. Um, I can't say her job because where she's going to, she might, know that I'm talking about her on the podcast. Um, but she left the industry completely and she went to go work at a nonprofit in a completely separate industry. And I asked her why. And she's like, I'm just burnt out. And she's only been out of school for like three years. And I was like, well, what are you burnt out about? And she's like, well, the student loans are just hanging over my head. And I just, you know, I just get so anxiety about it. And I'm like, the problem that I see with that statement it's just because you leave the PT industry doesn't mean that the student loans go away. Like the, the problem that loans are giving you the anxiety, not being a physical therapist, it's not the actual job unless I hear this all the time, right? Like I work in a mill, whatever it is, like, and I'm seeing 20 patients a day. Like, yeah, that can get stressful, right? But the majority of people that I hear about burning out is not in that situation. It's something that is unrelated to PT. It's and oftentimes it's a financial situation, and that's not just PTs, by the way. That's that's just America, like, and just not even say America, that's people across the world. Like, mm -hmm. it's just anxiety around money because they don't have that simple understanding and that plan where they're just saying, Hey, this is simple, and I can focus on this, and I 
this is, I can do this. So it gives them that anxiety and they think that if they just switch, and I brought up side hustles, right? That's why people think that if I just get a side hustle, like, and I can create this extra income that my problem is going to be gone. It's like, no, the problem is still there. Like, to be honest with you, like we brought up side hustles. This is something that a lot of people don't share. Most of the people that I see that start a side hustle, they get themselves so much into credit card debt that they're actually in a worse situation than they were before they started the side hustle. And so it's like, make sure you don't do that. Okay, so one piece of advice is, we're going to start a side hustle. Make sure you have cash. Don't go put it on credit cards, please. Um, so that's a side note on that. Um, but that's the what I see a lot with burnout from a financial standpoint. Okay. And to understand as a PT, just be like, you got to say, where is this anxiety and stress coming from? Is it because of my actual job or is it because money and my, my problem over here with money is affecting everything, not just my PT job, but my family life, my friend life, everything. Like it might not be PT. It's probably the money side of things. Okay. Now on the other side of that, just from a psychological standpoint, um, you know, I've done just a lot of research on my own on this because I hear, again, it's not just PTs. It's people like I'm burnt out. I just feel like I'm just doing nothing. And I look at a lot of the psychological issues you know, the mental health issues in, in the country of just in general. And I start looking at it and it's like, you know, what's the difference between when you're a kid and when you're older, you know, like if you've ever heard somebody say the saying, um, like, I can't believe that year's already gone. It just flew by. That is a burnout issue. Like you might not even realize it. That's a burnout issue. And what ends up happening with people is that when you're young, and I see this, especially now that I have a four-year-old, Everything's exciting because everything is new. Every day, you, it's new. And so the days seem long, you're learning. And then we go to college and we get our graduate degree or whatever it is, and we're out of school and we stop learning. We're just done. And all of a sudden, it's like you're a robot. You, you get up at the same time every day, you know, you check Facebook or whatever it is, and you might do a workout, you eat breakfast, you go work. You take lunch at the same time, you go home, you do, you know, your workout at home, whatever it is, you eat dinner, you go to sleep, do the same thing all over again, five days a week. And then your Saturdays and Sundays, you're like, okay, well, I got to do laundry. I got to, I got to cook. I got to do the yard work, whatever it is. You literally do the same thing every day. You, you are a robot. We're not robots. Humans are not meant to do that. We're, we're creators. We're meant to do new things. That's what excites us. And so one of the, there's two huge ways that I prevent burnout because everybody always asks me like, how do you work 16 hours a day? It's like, first of all, I don't consider it work. Um, but, uh, you know, psychologically, you know, do uh, two different things. First and foremost is like, this is a small thing. Um, is when you're driving somewhere, like say you're driving to work, like take different routes. Like, you know, it, it changes things up. Um, people used to always ask me like, why do I, back when I was playing sports or even after like why do you change your workout routine every two to three weeks it's like well first of all it's, it's muscle memory like just from a physiology standpoint of like hey your muscles get conditioned to it and then it stops working but the other reason is make it new like I don't just change my workout I completely change everything so like I have slow motion workouts to like high intensity workouts so it's like I just completely change it all like you know just to change it Okay, so just changing your routine, those simple things will help with burnout. Um, and then the other one that can help with burnout, and I'm a huge advocate of this, is never stop learning. And that goes back to what I mentioned earlier too about you know reading and context and all that stuff. 
never, ever stop learning. I don't care what it is. Like if I had stopped learning once I graduated from college, I would have never started FitBook. And it's like, you know, what, what did I learn after that? It wasn't finance stuff. I already knew the finance stuff, but I just started reading everything I could about marketing books, uh, psychology books, like random stuff. Like my wife, she makes fun of me. She was like wiping off one of our bookshelves the other day. She's like, why do you have physics books? And it's like, well, I had an idea for thermal technology. <laughs> she's like, oh, like, she's like, you just random books. It's like, you know, uh, her aunt makes fun of me because I have a book about like, what happens if the road ends tomorrow and you need to be able to survive like off of trees. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I just randomly read it. But it's like, so never, never stop learning. And so going back to the question of burnout, uh, like there's a financial aspect of it, which you can take control of and say, hey, how can I develop a plan? But then there's also the psychological standpoint that are outside of that saying, what do I need to do? Like little things, like I mentioned, change your routine up during the day. Um, and then also always just learn, just try to learn as much as you can. And you'll see uh, that burnout rate really stop, like start to drop over time. It's great advice and so true. And I, I like the idea of instead of, you know, trying to switch your mindset, actually physically switching what you're actually doing. I think mm -hmm. that's a really key piece of advice there. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. My, my said, my wife always makes fun of me. She's like, how do you know everywhere we like I've lived and moved? She's like, how do you know the street so well? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I've gotten lost a few times. <laughs> like, and oh, by the way, when you do it, try to do it without Waze or Google. Like, so you're actually observing like what you're looking at. Um, you know, again, I, I'll give without you without Waze. I don't know. I know, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, like just, I, I like I'll give you another a quick example of that. Like, somebody pointed this out to me the other day because I, I started. We were so busy that I stopped doing it. And somebody, I read a book and it made me focus back on this. You know, they they were like, you know, you ask a child what they about a walk. What do they remember? And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try this. So I, I went on a walk with my four year old. I got home. And I'm like, what do you remember? And she's like oh, well, you know, these flowers over here were yellow and there was a bug on the street here. And I'm like, I didn't see any of that. And why? Because it's not new to us. We see it all the time. We, we, we ignore the stuff that is no longer new. Whereas when you're younger, you're literally observing everything. And so again, it goes back to the whole burnout thing and everything like that. It's like, make it new, like get out of that routine. Like, you know, when you're out walking, put your phone down, like, and actually observe everything around you. Yes, I love that. That's a perfect way to wrap it all up, right? Make it new, don't stop learning. Yep, exactly. And I guess the way I can wrap that up too is again, you asked earlier, was the technology do? It makes it so you don't have to think about that part of your life. That's the goal of Fitbooks, not just the technology, but the service and everything else. Nikola Tesla used to talk about frictional forces. To me, frictional force is money. Like it, it prevents us from actually accomplishing things. Like get it out of the way. And once it's out of the way, you can go do whatever you want to and really focus on what's important in life. And like a piece of paper is not that important. So it is because of our society and what we live in, it makes it important. But from a personal standpoint, it's like, how do I make it so that way it's important to me, but it's not. And I know that's taken care of, I can move on with the rest of my life. Perfect. Okay, I have one last fun question for you. Should you trust advice you see on TikTok? <laughs> You know, so I'm not huge on it. I'm more 
in line from like a business standpoint and I see like TikToks that I look at, anybody that's on there doing like financial advice, they're actually pushing something else. And so it might be good to like spark your interest. So it is good because it's like, oh, he said something that sparks my interest. And, you know, if that's leading to like a, a link to a webinar or something else, yeah, it's fantastic. But, you know, that, that's why I get pissed because it's like, you know, I, I'm used to doing webinars where you actually teach people what to do. And most of the webinars on those things, they're going through this guy's mechanisms called, his name is Russell Bronson, guys, fantastic. He's really smart, but it basically is like, you don't really teach anything on webinars, you just sell. And so most of those webinars are just people reading his books and trying to pass people through a funnel to sign them up on something. So that's why I get pissed off because I, I can see right there. I could, I know exactly the mechanism that they're using. I'm like, this is crap. Um, but I think it's good because it does spark that interest. And it also starts disseminating a lot of information. So you can start understanding. And again, that's the key thing is what they say, does this apply to me? All right. Now, what you don't want to do, and this is where I get pissed off, is I, is I see people go out there and be like, you should buy Bitcoin. And they're like, well, how do I do it? It's like, you don't know anything about Bitcoin. Like, you know, just because you got lucky, you, you know, doesn't mean you're an expert in Bitcoin like, <laughs> or money. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, the financial advice there's, you know, you can, you can listen to some of that stuff, but use it more for information, not for, Hey, I should be doing this. So, got it. Yeah. Thanks. Joe, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really fun. I'm truly appreciative of you and your time and your website is. Uh, fitbucks.com. Got it. Yeah. F I T B U X. That is correct. Yep. Got it. Thanks so much. Yep. Not a problem. APTA Fit for Practice programming is available at no cost to all PTs, PTAs, and students. Thanks to the generosity of our sponsors. Sign up today by visiting APTA.org and search Fit for Practice. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting APTA.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.